0: All right, glad you're here. Hey, one of the things you can do to help us share the message of hope uh, is to share our services. If you're online, uh, you can share that with uh, all your folks. If you're here and you have a smart device, uh, feel free to take that out and share what's going on right now, inviting others to join us. Uh, This is a great way uh, to continue to get the gospel out to the world, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But as the Ross has demonstrated for us, this is the first Sunday of Advent and Advent is about anticipation of Christmas. Advent actually means something that's been anticipated has finally arrived, uh, much like the iPhone 12, right? It was much anticipated, and now the iPhone 12 is here. Anybody have an iPhone 12? Nobody? Okay, well, somebody's got to have an iPhone 12. It was highly anticipated. All right, good. We have, we have one winner. Congratulations. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, That was maybe a bad example to use. So, uh, but Advent, and so the Advent of Christ's nativity was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, where God promised he would send Messiah. Messiah was born. Jesus is his name. He was born at Christmas, so that anticipation was fulfilled. Now, the church, those of us who follow Jesus, we're in another Advent season that is awaiting the second coming of Christ, the reason, One of the reasons Christmas is so substantial is because it demonstrates for us that God keeps his promises. As he had promised since, since sin entered into the world that he would send Messiah, he did it. So when Jesus said to his followers as he ascended into heaven, I'm going to come back, we know that's, going to tr- that's true and that's going to happen because of Christmas. It demonstrates that for us. We celebrate Christmas, the arrival of Messiah, because it was Jesus who built the bridge between God and us. We have been separated from God because of our sin. We are born into sin, and we are sinners because we commit sin. And so we couldn't pay the price. We couldn't cover sin for the world, so God sent his own son for us to die in our place. This is one of the reasons, the main reason, that Christmas is celebrated. We celebrate the fact that God sent himself in flesh to the earth. To fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you read about the prophecies of Messiah, the one who was coming, Jesus fulfills all of them. There's still some prophecies out there that we know that Jesus will fulfill at his second coming. So we know that Jesus is the Messiah because he came to die in our place, to build a bridge so that we can know God. This, This word that we use is so that we can have a right relationship with God. It's called righteousness. Right? We, we desire to be right before God. We need righteousness, and so we try to do this on our own. We try to create our own righteousness, but we all fall short because the only way you and I could be righteous is if we kept the law perfectly. We never broke one of the Ten Commandments. We never broke one of the laws of God. Well, we, we fell at that very quickly, and so we know that we cannot create righteousness in ourselves but since God is a God of love and grace, he provided a way for us to be clothed in his righteousness because of what Jesus did. And that's what Paul is going to talk about. Through faith, you and I can be made righteous. It's not our own righteousness. not something we created or earned. It's receiving God's righteousness through what Jesus Christ did and through faith. But again, the problem is, humanly, we try to create our own righteousness. We try to activate righteousness when ourself, typically by doing things. Right? A lot of times people come and say, you know, I really feel convicted by the Lord, so I, I know I need to start doing more. Right? Is there anything I can do at the church? <laughs> I'll, I'll rake leaves or whatever. And it's it's this in our mind that in order to earn God's favor, I have to do more things. It's not about doing at it all. It's really about being, what it means in understanding, what it means to be a child of God. So Paul writes in his letter to the Romans today to explain to us what that means and what that looks like. Now I don't think most people walk around with the statement, how can I be made righteous? I don't, if you have friends that say that, they may be weird. But that's not typically how we ask that question. But people will ask the question, how can I get to heaven? How can I know I go to heaven when I die? How do I get to heaven when I die? And if you ask people that question, first of all, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? Most people will say, yeah. I mean, we all want to think that, right? And then if you ask them why they think they should go to heaven, they'll say typically because I'm a good person because I go to church, because I do things, because I give to charity, because I'm nice to to cats. There's all kinds of explanations that people give that, that they think because they're good enough, they get to go to heaven. But then there's the question, how much is good enough? How much good do I have to do to outweigh the bad that I do? And what if I die doing something bad? Does that mean I don't get to go to heaven? So there's great confusion. It's very unsettling to think that I can earn heaven by being good enough because we all fall short of that. So Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible, in whatever form it is, I invite you to open to Romans chapter 10. As we look at this question, how do I get to heaven? And it really boils down to this issue. Self-produced righteousness or self-established righteousness versus God-established righteousness. Now I'm not talking about self-righteousness here, that you think you're perfect and everything. But there's really that desire to want to have a right standing before God. That's what the word righteousness means, that I have a right standing before God. So, how do I earn that? Paul addresses that. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Romans 10. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish it on their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He's he's focusing here on the Jews who thought that they could earn God's righteousness by doing all the law, doing the sacrificial system. There's no doubt, as you read about God's chosen people, the Israelites, that they had ups and downs. There were times that they were on fire for God, they were zealous for the Lord, and there were times that they served other gods, they abandoned God. And we see that. So as Paul writes this letter, he's not arguing that they lack zeal for God. There's evidence throughout history that the Jewish people, the Israelites, had a zeal for God, but what they lacked was knowledge. They lacked how to have a right relationship with God. They didn't understand that. They didn't fully embrace that. That's what Jesus came to give. Jesus was the final sacrifice in the sacrificial system. There were sacrifices for sin. There were sacrifices for thanksgiving. There were sacrifices for praise, sacrifices for worship. So the Jewish people, they, they understood that, But Jesus came to end all sacrifices. Once Jesus was sacrificed as the perfect lamb, there was no need for another sacrifice. But the Jews were still hanging on to the old way of doing things, which in their mind was by works. But if you read the Old Testament, God's grace is evident throughout the entire Old Testament. It's just that when Jesus gets there, he's the final sacrifice. So things are different in the way we receive, the way we experience God's grace. And that's what Paul's trying to explain here. They were zealous for God, but here's a principle. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Our son, Ryan, is in training with American Airlines to be a commercial airline pilot. And so he is in American Airlines school, and he is very passionate about flying planes. What led him to this decision, he likes to drive stuff and he likes to go fast. So he thought, what is faster than an airplane? Maybe a rocket, but he's not ready for that. So anyway, he, he... was accepted into American Airlines school, and so he's in training. And I just imagine if they just went up to him and said, man, you love to fly planes. You're excited about flying. We love your passion. Here's the plane. Go do it, right? He had the zeal. He had the passion, the excitement, but without knowledge of how to fly a plane, it's going to be dangerous, maybe even deadly. So this is what Paul's highlighting. You may have a zeal to have a right relationship with God. You may be passionate about Jesus, but if you don't have knowledge that zeal could be dangerous, even deadly. And that's where the Israelites were. And that's evident because their focus was trying to keep the law. So since they didn't understand God's righteousness or how to achieve God's righteousness, their default was very human-based, and I have to earn it. They also heard this from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that you have to keep the law perfectly. And they added other laws to God's law to make it even more difficult. But in reality, not even the Pharisees or Sadducees could keep the law perfectly. So the law was designed to show us how much we need God's grace because we can't keep it perfectly. This is the righteousness that Paul's talking about. Now, righteousness by the law taught people to do and live. In other words, if I can do enough things, then I'll be able to live in God's favor and live eternally. But righteousness by faith, which Paul is highlighting, teaches us to believe and then live. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for our sins, and believe the word believe means trust and put faith in, then you will live. It's not by doing a bunch of things, a bunch of religious, not even a bunch of Christian things, that we earn God's favor. But because we've received God's God's grace, even though we don't deserve it, that motivates us to want to live for him through obedience and through every decision that we make. And this is where Paul is leading us. And he says that righteousness is for everyone who believes. So again, the Jews were trying to be righteous from the outside. They were not seeking inward transformation. They were just trying to be obedient to the law rather than understanding the salvation that God offered. Look at verse 5 of Romans chapter 10. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And here's the message. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, Paul is is focusing on the Jews' belief that the righteousness of God was inaccessible. And the thought was, if I can get to heaven, I can ask God about his righteousness. Well, that's impossible. We can't get to heaven. That's why Jesus came to earth. We couldn't get to God, but God came to us, the incarnation. That's why Christmas is so significant. God came to us to show us how we can receive his righteousness. And then Paul says, you can't go down to the depths. You can't go down to Hades because Jesus is not in the realm of the dead. He was resurrected three days later. He was dead for three days, but he was resurrected. So you can't find him there to find out about righteousness. There was only one alternative. God had to send his son to us to show us and provide a way for for us to have a right relationship with God. But then he says the word of God's righteousness has been near them all the time. Again, you can look throughout the Old Testament. Every book in in the Old Testament highlights Jesus in one form or fashion. Doesn't call him Jesus, but he's there. He's there throughout the Old Testament. So Paul is making a link. Again, he's mainly talking to Jews here who rely on the old religious system. And now they have a new way. This Jesus has provided a new way to relate to God. And so they're having a hard time breaking free from the old. And so Paul is saying it's not that you have to negate the old. The old was substantial. It was important because it pointed you to the new. It pointed you to the Messiah. And so in this way, you are linked to your ancestors and the grace they received of God, and the faith that they had in God. And so now Jesus has provided a way for us. In fact, he quotes Deuteronomy 9.4 and Deuteronomy 30, verses 10.14, showing again the importance of the Old Testament. But the Jews refused to receive this by faith. And so Paul builds on this idea of confession and belief. With our mouth and with our heart that these are united, that this idea is important. This new covenant that Jesus established, as he said there at the Last Supper, right? This is the blood of the new covenant, the new way that you receive God's grace, the new way you enter into a right relationship with God. And here's the key. You must declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, Lord is not a term we use a lot. But Lord means king, Lord means boss, Lord means master, Lord means ruler. In other words, Jesus is not a hobby, he is Lord. So if I declare that Jesus is my Lord, that means that I seek him for every decision that I make. That I am obedient to him in every area of my life. In my career, I am pursuing what he has cut out for me. In my relationships, I am honoring him with how I treat him. My boyfriend or my girlfriend, how I treat my husband or my wife. I'm seeking the Lord in my career decisions, in what I am to be, in my goals and my dreams. I am seeking the Lord because I know His ways are better than mine. And I've come up with some pretty ideas of what I'd like my life to look like, but He has even better ones. So every decision I make, no matter how big or small, I'm truly seeking God in those decisions. Lord, what would you have for me to do in this area of my life? And there's not one area that I'm not being obedient in. I'm not saying, well, I've given him 99% of my life, so this 1% I'm, I'm keeping to myself. That's not making Jesus Lord. And so it's interesting. It leads to the question. This is a statement of faith. This is our statement of faith. And it's an individual statement. It's an individual decision. No one can decide this for you. No one is born Christian. You each have to make that decision. Your family can't do it. Your friends can't do it. Your church can't do it. Your denomination can't do it. You have to make that decision. Am I going to receive Jesus as the leader and forgiver of my life, or am I going to continue to do this on my own? So here's the question I have that leads us to. Is Jesus just a part of your life, or is he the Lord of it? I'll ask that again. Is Jesus just a part of your, a compartment of your life? Or is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? So, this is the, the understanding. That, that statement is the most basic distinguishing mark of a Christian that has accepted this truth of who Jesus is. And so, Paul says there's confession, confess with your mouth, but the confession of your mouth is evidence of your heart. What comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. So if we confess that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for my sins and He rose again. And Jesus is Lord. That reveals our belief in our heart. It's easy to say stuff without meaning it. Paul's saying this confession has to reveal the truth. It has to reveal the truth that Jesus is, in fact, God. He wasn't just a great teacher or a great man that did a lot of great stuff. He truly was God in the flesh. Incarnation, that's Christmas. Jesus came, God in the flesh, to us. Every, most every false religion has a place for Jesus, but none of them consider him God. The closest thing is Mormonism who believes that Jesus became a God because of his morality, that, people can, that men can earn Godhead, Godship. But every other religion, they have a compartment. They believe that Jesus was a prophet or something, but they don't believe that he was God. Only Christianity says that Jesus is truly God. So this means I believe in the incarnation that God came in the flesh, celebrated at Christmas. I believe that Jesus was nailed to a cross. He died in my place. And I believe that three days later God raised him from the dead. This is faith. This is the evidence of faith that Paul is driving us towards. And it's only faith, the only faith that saves us, is the faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, again, the foundation of Christianity. What Paul is saying to us, there is no salvation apart from lordship. That's key. There is no salvation apart from lordship. So the question I asked you earlier, is Jesus a part of your life or is he lord of your life? That was a trick question. (laughs) Because you can't have salvation, Jesus, without Lord Jesus. Did you hear that? You can't have the, hey, get me out of hell free card without letting him be the boss of your life. You're not the boss of me. Well, he has to be. (laughs) You can't have salvation, Jesus, without Lord Jesus. Unless you're willing to submit and surrender all that you are to him, claiming him as the leader, the boss, the ruler of your life, you don't have Jesus. You may have ideas of Jesus. You may have inklings of Jesus, but you don't have the real Jesus unless he's Lord. It's not an option. (laughs) He didn't come in and say, you just do whatever you want. Give me 50% of you and then uh, you you get to go to heaven. No, it's it's all or nothing. I surrender all. It's all or nothing. Jesus is not a hobby. (laughs) He is Lord. So, is Jesus the ruler of your life? Paul says that he Those who believe in Jesus will never be put to shame. The word shame there is is the word condemnation. We're back in Romans 8. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul keeps driving us to this relationship of Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. A relationship that Jesus offers everyone. That in that relationship, I don't have to worry about being condemned for my sin. If I don't have that relationship, then I will, will face condemnation for my sin. I will face the judgment day for my sin. And at that day, there will be no escape. There will be no rescue. The rescue is available now. And he says this ability to believe and confess is available to all people. This is one of the value statements we have in our church that we believe the gospel is for all people. It's not just for a certain group, it's not just for the Jews. We know that the gospel went to the Gentiles. We don't believe it's just for an elect group. We believe that the gospel is for all people, for all who will believe or receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. Paul says that we call upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's not a religious formula. It's not that we call on God when we're in trouble (laughs) and we need help. What he means by this, when I call upon the name of the Lord, I submit to his authority. I submit to his universal authority. I submit to his eternal authority. He is truly the ruler of my life. I call upon him. I recognize, I believe, I put faith and trust in that Jesus is Lord and that he is Lord of my life. Failure to do this, failure to believe in Jesus as the forgiver and the leader of your life results in judgment results in condemnation. Back to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That little word in is relational. This is the only way we escape condemnation for our sin because we're all guilty of sin. We're all sinners, but Christ made a way. That's why the Jews stumbled over this. They stumbled over Jesus because they didn't want to accept this by faith. They still felt, I've got to do something. I've got to do, certainly I've got to do something. You ever felt that way? Surely I've got to do something for God to love me. I mean, this this seems too simple for me. Well, you have to give him your life. You have to give him control. You have to let go. You have to trust him. You have to be obedient to him. But you, you do that because he loved you, not because you're trying to earn his love. It's because we want to please the one who gave it all for us. That's the difference. So with that understanding, again, people have zeal for God, but they like knowledge of how to be in relationship with God. So how are they going to know? How are they going to gain knowledge, Paul says, if nobody tells them? Here comes the role of the church, the role of those who follow Jesus. Look at verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word about Christ. So Paul is saying, all right, for those of you who have knowledge of this right relationship with God, now it is our job to go and tell those who don't have this knowledge. A couple weeks ago, I don't know if you saw the Cowboy game against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm sure I turned it off the Redskins game. But, uh, so I had to go back a couple of weeks to find something good. So, but in the, in the Cowboy game, C.D. Land, the new standout rookie receiver, made a miraculous catch. Did you see that one? Well, if you didn't, here it is. One, two, Second and goal. Dalton looking at zone, he throws! Oh. What a catch! C.D. Lamb for a Cowboys oh. touchdown! Oh. Wow, hey. Kenny, I don't know if fans recognize how hard of a catch that was. Wow, looking over gets his left well shoulder. Gets it down. That's a, that's a touch. Isn't that amazing? That was an amazing catch. I played that thing like 50 times. I kept rewinding to see it again and again. They played it 50 times. You've probably seen it 50 times. Why? Because something amazing happened. We want to talk about it, we want to tell people about it. Listen, there is nothing more amazing than what Jesus did for us. So, as much as we want to talk about Cowboys finally winning, as much as we want to talk about the spectacular CD Lamb we need to be talking about Jesus even more. I mean, bottom line, come on. If you understand what Jesus has done, how can we keep silent? How can we not tell people? And what a greater time, maybe the only better time of year is during Easter, but now during the Christmas season, to a world that is just devastated by this worldwide pandemic. People are looking for hope. They're looking for a message. They want to know that there is someone who is over all of this, that there is someone in charge, that there is hope for the future. We have that message of hope, the message of Jesus Christ, and we are called to share it. Paul says that everyone has the availability and the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as a leader and forgiver of their life. So if this is true and we believe this, then we have to tell them. We have to tell them the devastation that sin causes in their life, and that one day we will all stand in judgment for our lives. And without Christ, they will be condemned for their sin, to spend eternity separated from a loving God. You may not remember back in 2004, it was the day after Christmas that Europeans and Americans had, many were vacationing in places like Thailand, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, and that morning at 7.59, a 9.1 earthquake hit the bottom of the Indian Ocean. And what resulted was miraculous. Those, and you if you've seen video of this, it's really amazing. People out on the beach enjoying the, the warm weather. And all of a sudden, the water in the ocean, instead of crashing up on the shore with waves, began to recede. Hundreds and hundreds of yards it began to move back into the ocean. People were blown away. They'd never seen anything like this before. And so they started to go out. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They could walk out. It wasn't dry sand, but they could walk out of the sand. The water was gone. They went to go see what in the world just happened. How did this happen? What they didn't realize is where that water had receded to, it was building up and building up and building up into a giant wall that was about to come back to shore. It's known as the Boxing Day Tsunami. It was the largest underwater earthquake recorded at that time. It caused the most devastation of any earthquake, any natural event in that time. 230,000 people died within hours, just enjoying their day on the beach, enjoying their day in town. That was a picture of some of the devastation that was caused by this tsunami. Several months after that, the church I served in, we sent a team of missionaries to Thailand, to southern Thailand, to a fishing village called Cowlach. Cowlach had about 16,000 residents. 8,000 were gone from the tsunami. They lost half their population. So we were there doing ministry and and trying to help in the relief efforts. What was so amazing, it was a fishing village, so there were fishing boats strewn all over town. I mean, miles inland on shore. In fact, the church we worked with was called the Boat Church because there was a boat resting on the roof. And rather than remove it, they just built around it. I and mean, it, was, it was horrific. But we were there to share the gospel. And as we were looking around, we saw at this point there were escape routes posted. There were signs posted all, all along in case a tsunami. They'd never seen anything like this before. But in case something like this happened again, this is how you can get to higher ground. This is how you can get to safety. They'd installed warning sirens so that if a tsunami ever happened again, you would have a warning to be able to move to higher ground, stuff they never had before. As I was preparing this message, I I was just reminded of that experience and equated to this. There are people who do not realize the tsunami that awaits them because of sin, that they will all one day stand to give an answer for their sin. And if Jesus is not their advocate, they will be submerged in judgment. A tsunami like they've never seen before will wreck their lives. And they will spend eternity separated from God. This is the message of hope that we carry. This is the message of hope that we have to share. It is faith in this message that leads to salvation. And all we have to do, we're not called to save anybody. We can't rescue anybody. All we're called to do The only thing Jesus asks is tell people. You have got to tell them. You have got to warn them of what awaits them. But more than that, you've got to tell them there's a Jesus who knows everything they've done, but he loves them more than they can understand. They need to know the love that brought God down at Christmas. They need to know there is hope. And it's not provided by this world, and it's not by doing a bunch of religious stuff. It's about a relationship with a living, loving Lord. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. This is my life verse because I have really ugly feet. <laughs> so this is my hope. But this is what's behind the church deployed. <laughs> beautiful are the feet, which indicates movement. This is Paul's version of the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples. We are the church deployed. We have got to get out into the streets, the schools, the businesses, the neighborhoods. We have got to tell people that judgment is coming. But there is a Jesus who saves. So the the challenge I have for us today is to know your story. This Romans chapter 10 is a part of what we call the Romans road. It's a way to present the gospel. I encourage you to memorize that. It's, it's a very simple formula to be able to share faith. But even if you don't have that memorized, and even in the heat of the moment, you can't recall any scriptures, you have your story. So I want to challenge you today, sometime this afternoon, just to write out your story. Three simple levels. First of all, what was your life like before Jesus? What was missing? What was void in your life? Where had your searching ended up? Second thing, how did you meet Christ? Did someone tell you about Jesus? Did you hear it in a church service? Hear on the radio? You were just out in nature and God spoke to you? And then the third thing, how has your life changed since? How has your life changed since you met Jesus Christ and asked him to be the leader and forgiver of your life? And if you've never done that... (laughs) You've never asked Jesus to be the leader and forgiver. Again, it's a package deal. You don't get to choose one without the other. Today could be that day. To simply just ask God God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died and rose again. And I ask him to forgive me of my sin. And I invite you into my life to be the leader and forgiver of my life. And that's the beginning of your relationship to Jesus Christ. But I guarantee you, he's just waiting for you to say that. He's not going to turn you away. He's going to receive you with open arms. Man, you don't have to do this on your own. (laughs) You don't have to try to live this life on your own. You don't have to try to figure out how to be good enough to get to go to heaven. Jesus took care of all that for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Christmas. And our understanding of Christmas is that Jesus came to die. That Jesus, God, came in the flesh to live among us, to build a bridge, to show us how to have a right relationship to the Father and then to provide the way. And Father, I pray that if anyone watching this message or watching online or we will watch it later, if they've never asked Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their life, that they will do that. And then they will find someone who believes in you, a church or someone that can help them with the next steps. If they're in our church, I pray that they reach out and let us know so we can help them. But God, I pray if there's anyone who today believes that they are a Christ follower, but they've not fully understand that that you only come as Lord and they've been kind of playing this game of just a little bit of Jesus just enough Jesus all I need is Jesus and coffee (laughs) you know whatever it is they'll understand that when we invite you in you take control and we have to let go but when we do it's beautiful Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for saving us. We give you honor and we give you praise. In Jesus' name.